everyone, and welcome to another... I was trying to think of an adjective to use, and I couldn't think of one on the top of my head. So welcome to another probably chaotic and rambling episode of Podcast of the Fallen. Uh, I am your veteran Malazan reader host, Nathan, and I am joined, as always, by Matt. Howdy, folks. And uh, I realize that we haven't really been saying what we're covering at the top of each episode. So we're covering Memories of Ice, chapters three and four today. But also, you know that from clicking on the podcast, because that's the title. It's true. So, I mean, I would, for, I would, there's been times where I click on podcast episodes for other things, and I forget what I clicked on. So, I mean. That's fair. It happens. So, it happens. So chapters three and four of Memories of Ice today, because chapter five is a 50 page plus beast. And we're going to we didn't want to do over 100 pages in a week, even though we have done that before. Yeah, we have. That's right. That was a hectic, hectic week. Yes, it was too much almost. Yeah, I don't think there's really anything to talk about. Actually, I do want to shout this out on the podcast. I didn't see this until today, but uh, so we're recording this December 4th and on the r slash Malazan podcast subreddit, which does exist. And if you know podcasters or content creators, you can go promote them there. We got a shout out by Huron fan, who, which is a reference to a character named Huron from or Huron, H-U-R-I-N from Wheel of Time. Huron fan is the is a host of the Green Team Legendariums. Malazan podcast series and they shouted us out and said I want to call out podcast of the fallen because big trouble in little China is a classic so we are sorry if we offended anyone with our derogatory nature of talking about big trouble in little China but I just thought that was fun that we got that from Huron fan and thank you for watching Huron it's uh it's nice to know that people in the community are listening to us yeah, I mean, I don't know if I fully apologize for that because you should just know it's not a great movie as much as you <laughs> love it. Take off the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia and look at it, and you'll realize, wow, that's a that's a strange movie. It's like an acquired yeah. taste. I mean, one of my favorite movies is Napoleon Dynamite, and I, not everyone loves Napoleon Dynamite. So, which is yeah, that's an amazing movie, but I could I could see why people don't like it. But anyways, I just wanted anyways. to shout that out because i thought that was funny it's pretty i forget how like not long but long we've been doing this and just i think it's funny that people i don't know actually listen to it maybe that's weird <laughs> to say <laughs> but sometimes i'm like oh wow yeah i forget this is a, a lot of there's enough people out there listening to this yeah so yeah. we're recording this december 4th that was posted 11 days ago on r slash malazan podcast so Sorry that we didn't see that earlier, which is funny because that that was a post in my subreddit that I created kind of so that we could promote this podcast. And then I haven't done it in there for a while. So I'll start promoting more in there. Do we have anything else Um, that I can think of? No. Okay, we will jump right in. Chapter three, the Mibe thinks on the burden of the child that she's born and how it saps her life away. It's revealed that the child contains two Malazan mages within her. The Tystandi Korlat arrives to arrive, arrives to invite the Maibi to the parley. 
Dujek, Whiskey Jack, Artanthos, and Twist meet Kaladin, Brood, Kalor, Corlat, the Mive, and Silver Fox. They take the measure of each other and are pleased. Crone and Dujek exchange barbs. Silver Fox almost reveals the origin of the Great Ravens, but is cut off by Crone. Whiskey Jack recognizes Brood's table and tells the story of it. He also almost recognizes Silver Fox. The situation in the city of Kapistan is explained. Tensions between the prince and ruling priests, the hiring of the Grey Swords, and so on. We also learn that the Teniskauri are cannibals. The commanders decide to save Kapistan if possible, but their main objective is striking for the Panion Doman's heart. Kalor reveals that Silverfox drains the Mibe's light force and threatens her. Whiskey Jack slaps him with his gauntlet in retaliation, and Silverfox explains how she came to be with the souls of Tattersail and Nightchill inhabiting her. Her birth marks the gathering of the Talani Mass, and they are coming. Whiskey Jack reels with this revelation and silently accepts an invitation to speak with Corlat. Crone thinks on how the ravens were birthed like maggots from the flesh of the crippled god. Kalor sneers when the Talani Mass war against the Jagud is mentioned, and Silver Fox snaps back. The Mib realizes that there is long enmity between Kalor and one of the souls within Silver Fox. Outside, Silver Fox asks Whiskey Jack to contact Peron for her. She doesn't possess many specific memories of Tattersail, just faces and feelings. Corlat and Whiskey Jack speak privately. I can't lie, that was a tough section. That was a tough chapter to summarize because most of it is really dense conversations full of information. I uh I made a note. I'm like, this reminds me of the dinner party in Dune. Like just kind of that it's not oh, yeah. like it's just like there's just so many back and forth POVs they switches between through this whole short, like in a time frame, it's actually a relatively short conversation. Just remind me of that. I was like, wow, this is a this is a lot of information. But for once, we get a lot of information. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we start off with the Mibe um, watching Silver Fox, who we later learn is uh, Tattersail Reborn. I feel like that was pretty or obvious. Partially Tattersail Reborn. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. But like that was one of those moments I was like, ah, I got this. This makes sense. <laughs> I know who that is. <laughs> well, when she's like, well, there are two Malazan mages within her. There's very few possibilities of a child that's been reborn with two Malazan mages. I like it was one of those moments. I'm like, if I wasn't like really paying attention while reading, I could have easily missed that. Like, I just know it. So felt a little proud being like ah, I made those connections before even had to get into the into the deep dive of info dump the my the description of the my just gets to me and what it means to the rivi just like a clay pot that's for a single use and then it gets discarded it's like well that's 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 not a very good title it's kind of sad and demeaning yeah it is yeah no i, I kind of thought the same thing i was like wow that's a uh... It's a pretty depressing way to kind of finish your life, I guess. Yeah, like, and I mean, she's like 20. She's 20? I thought she was older. So she appears older, but she ah, thinks about funny. how barely barely a season passed. She was a young woman, a young, very beautiful woman who many men were proposing to, and she was denying them all. And now she, uh, now she has a child that's sucking her life away. Which is, uh, yeah. No, I, I think it's I got that a little mixed up because I because that description, she's so old. And so the entire time imagining like this really old lady, which um is true, but she's young, so she's very young. Kind of a kind of an extreme metaphor for motherhood. 
I know. I I thought the same thing. I was like, oof, that's a, it's a bit harsher than I feel like most mothers would feel, but I think some maybe it, do feel that way sometimes, it, which is it valid. It's true. It rings yeah. true, I think, in a lot of ways that even the best parents have days where and now neither of us are parents or even close to the uh, even close to the stage where we're going to be parents. But nope. I feel like even the best parents have days where they're like, man, life would be so much easier if I did not have a child. And then you and then they wake up the next morning like, man, this is amazing. I'm like, that sounds like too much of a roller coaster. I'd have an upset stomach. Yeah, um, I did want to read. Uh, the Mibes thoughts here. Uh, a mother's instincts ever abided. It was not right to curse them, to lash out at the bindings of love that came in the division of flesh. For all the flaws raging within her and for all the twisted demands woven into her daughter, the Mibe could not, would not spin webs of hate. Pretty cool. Uh, and then Corlat comes up. They have a conversation that we don't really get the full context here in this section about Kalor and why he wants to kill silver fox and all of the tensions within their camp we get that a bit later mm -hmm. i uh i will say though it, one thing that that was interesting is kind of the background that's given on the rivi and just like oh, yeah. it talks about the mountains and how they're kind of sacred to them and all this other stuff but then it's like but then there's been wars upon wars upon wars and it's kind of like desecrated how they view that stuff which i thought was kind of sad reading it you're like oh wow that's a uh, pretty pretty heavy to think about i think just the sheer effect that the amount of war that's had on this people and the place that they call home like i mean it even gets brought up in the city of pale just like how much damage has been done and all the effects that the long you know sieges and stuff have taken on to the people there especially here in well because i'm american the very first paragraph of the chapter made me think kind of of Native Americans and settlers about how the farmers of Pale like yeah. were trying to expand and farm in the hills that were sacred to the rivi and they paid for their temerity yep. with blood. Yeah. No, I, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, that's a interesting kind of historical contrast, I think. Yeah. And the rivi are also a plains people that are nomadic and drive massive herds around the plain and all of that too. So yeah. um, I do love the description of the mibe silver fox and corlat here we three stand for all to see a child of 10 or 11 years a woman of youthful visage with unhuman eyes and a bent old woman and it is in every detail an illusion for what lies within us is reversed i am the child the tystandee has known thousands of years of life and the girl hundreds of thousands yeah it made me that like i feel like that's just such a great way of putting most of this series so far from what I've seen, like we keep seeing like these, like most of the time we're spending with people that have been alive for, you know, 15 to 40, 50 years and they're battling each other. And then, you know, you keep getting these like basically immortal deities <laughs> that yeah. just pop in here and there. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, a few hundred thousand years ago, this happened. And there's like, you can't even fathom that. And he's like, yeah, that was like, today it feels like a few, you know, decades ago. I would imagine like it doesn't feel like terribly long ago. But... I mean, once you've lived for tens of thousands of years, a century probably it feels pretty quick. All right. It'd be kind of cool to try like, just once. Like here I am at 24 years old and it feels like 2023 has just gone by in the blink of an eye. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Yeah. And then we get the parley before they go into the tent. 
uh, I love that Corlett is like, man, Whiskey Jack's attractive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was dying. And then you got Silver Fox like, he would make a great uncle. I'm going to call him uncle. <laughs> yep. Before he like, even knows who I am. I was like, that's true, though. Like, from what I've heard of Whiskey Jack, he seems like kind of that, like, the cool uncle that would like, like the cool outdoorsy uncle that, like, knows all the cool, like, just random things, kind of jack of all trades. Yeah, for sure. Kind of, kind of feeling. I think it's funny, though, how hairy they mentioned he was. <laughs> yeah, Rivy men are not that hairy. Nope. Even still. Uh, let's see. We get a description of uh, Calor and how he just always seems bored with campaigns and stuff. And it's, it's just like something he does. It's just but like he, part he of puts it. no real effort into it. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought that was an interesting interaction. Like I, there's not many times where I read a story and I feel like on edge. And this scene, I was like, "Hey, let's go!" I was like, "This this could go one of two ways," and it went how I hoped it would go. Like they greeted each other and they're like, "Yeah, we fought. That sucked. Ready to go fight this other guy." <laughs> yeah, they're we like, respect yeah. each other. Yeah, and so. But even like through that whole meeting, especially with Cowler, like, like trying to, you know, kill Silver Fox or attack her, like I'm like the entire time, like there's been very rare circumstances, me reading a book or listening to one where I'm like kind of on edge. And it was through most of those scenes. I was just like, please, let's just get out of this like, <laughs> and make sure this just works. Like, I don't want them to start duking it out now. Yeah, we get but... uh Silver Fox says that Artanthos, the standard bearer, is not what he appears. We haven't met him, right? No, we have not met Artanthos before. Uh, and then the Crimson Guard just are not here. If you remember, they're the ones that were protecting Crocus the whole time in Guardians of the Moon. Mm-hmm. They're like the hidden oh, yeah. ones. They're the ones that come out and fight Lorne. That's right. They're the mercenary uh, group, right? Yep. They're attending to internal matters. So for more information on the Crimson Guard, please see Ian C. Usselant's novels of the Malazan Empire. Really? That's those? Part of That'd it, at least. Cool. Yeah. Is that at the same time right now, then? Right? Um, I think so. Is it a trilogy? It's six books. Oh, it's six books. Of the Crimson. And you've read those, right? Yes, I've read novels of the Malazan Empire. So the novels of the Malazan Empire together with Book of the Fallen make up the main Malazan books. Okay. So at this point, I'm kind of leaning towards wanting to intersperse. There's an order that you can read those interspersed with Book of the Fallen. And I'm leaning towards wanting to do that. And you jump back and forth for some of them. Is it? Would it be right after this one, I imagine? No. So we would read the first one after Midnight Tides. Which is book five. five. Okay. That would actually be kind of fun. We'll have to talk about it later. <laughs> or vote down below. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, let's see. Yeah, just before they go into the tent, uh, Dujek says, let us hope the Panion Doan proves a worthy foe, but not too worthy. Granted. I love how Dujek's just had this kind of like lighthearted-ish sense of humor about it all. Like through the whole interaction. Yeah. The mic like is like, tell... yeah, they... oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you just tell he's like a, he's like a, like, I feel like he's genuinely a good guy by yeah. his attitude through this whole thing. Like he's just looking out for his people. Yeah. And the Maib is like, yeah, they've had a dozen 
pitch battles at least in like a score sieges of cities and stuff and they've battled together for 12 years and then the mime says pragmatic soldiers are the most frightening among the people whom i have known in my short life and silver fox is like and you doubt your own wisdom it's like yeah the two of them together have kind of wreaked havoc on this continent for a dozen years the two of them together might might do a little more i mean hopefully they're going to save the continent from whatever's coming uh and then they travel to the command tent uh, through the Tystandi encampment, and it's just, it's a sad place. And the Mive thinks on how the ND just leave their dead on the field, and it's been up to the Rivi to give them funeral rites and stuff like that. Gnarly. Yeah, it doesn't, it feels kind of bleak. Like, I, like, always reading this, I'm imagining, like, just an overcast all the time. <laughs> like, it could actually be bright and sunny, like a warm tropical day, and I'm just imagining it overcast. No matter what's going on on Ginnabacus, I feel like it's like a, like Great Britain sometimes, how they portray it in some <laughs> things, or Seattle, just kind of like overcast, maybe a drizzle, some fog, some cold humidity. Yeah, definitely. Especially when it's de- depicting the Tystandee, like, they're so sad. They There's hidden tragedies hidden in their history, and... There's just apathy and like you can tell they just don't care. And it's like, well, they've at least got a cloud over their head, even if it's not cloudy outside. Yeah. You've got Crone sitting on top of the tent. Oh, yeah. And she like exchanges bars with everyone. Like, Careful. Where's the where's the beak muzzle or whatever it was? Where's the beak strap? (laughs) And she's like, you better not try that again. I was like, Crone's just like, I feel like she's really smart, but at the same time, she's really dumb. Like, she gives off that vibe. Crone's voice in my head is a female version of Iago from Aladdin. Iago. Iago is the parrot that the evil guy has in Aladdin. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to have to listen to that just so I can try and, like, picture that next time. Iago! I can't do it. Yeah. No, that that's close enough though to like kind of remember. That's awesome. That's a great one. Crone uh, calls the my dearest clay pot. It's like, do you really have to insult her? But then she says later that she loves her. So it's a term of affection. It's like a it's like a <laughs> family matter. No, I was yeah. just gonna say this is uh where they bring in the table or mention the table. Oh yeah, whiskey jock walks in and just starts laughing. And, He's like, you got, uh, you got the table. Yeah. A hundred bridge burners gathered around for Fiddlers and Hedges game. And then we were attacked. And then we took the position. And then we lost the position again in about a bell, which is their version of an hour. And someone had walked off the table. The big table. Yeah, like 200 pounds, he says. Jeez. I know. I was just imagining it, though. I could just imagine Whiskey Jack just... Having a good chuckle, like ah, oh, the table from Fiddler well, and Edge. Let me let me say, because they mentioned the regulars later, and Kelly and Brood kind of like kind of was like, oh yeah, Whiskey Jack, you would have encountered them in in a Black Dog Forest in the swamp. And once you meet the Mata regulars, you'll totally understand. Yeah, like, yeah, it's totally within their character to carry off the table in the middle of the battle. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> the goblins from Clash of Clans, I feel like they just steal everything. I've never played Clash mm-hmm. of Clans. Oh, those Silver, that you have. Silver Fox is like, so uh, Fiddler and Hedge cheated their games, and Whiskey Jack is like, I don't know. They make the rules so complicated, no one can tell. Like, it could be cheating, or they just be there actually winning. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny that they that they use the deck of dragons. That's what always cracks me up. 
it's like uh i don't even remember if it was in a show or a movie but they're like playing cards with tarot cards or something uh, <laughs> like yeah. wait that's bad luck don't do that they're like yeah whatever i mean it is mentioned fiddler has a sensitivity for them and hedge mentions it later that fiddler's always able to tell what card it is so interesting we get a whole conversation about the situation in uh Kapistan, all of the tensions between the factions there. That's that's where they want to strike first, right? Yeah, that's the city where they're like, we'll save it if we can, but if not, then Yeah. Like we'll try. Yeah, so they've uh the prince to circumvent the limit on his royal army has hired mercenary guard like mercenaries to defend the city. Oh, the gray swords, right? Yeah, the gray swords. Yep. I remembered a name for once. Woohoo! <laughs> They're so accomplished. And the the priests, the council of priests that rules the city, frequently recruit the best of the royal guard into their own private temple guards to keep the prince from having too much power. And it's like, well, there you go. In two paragraphs, Erickson just once again laid out the entire politics of a city. Yeah, it's true. And they mention they're like, well, the temple thing does make sense when it is a holy war. Yeah. Well, they're saying that it doesn't make sense that the temples aren't using their own soldiers in a holy war. We we haven't understood why it's a holy war yet, right? No, we do not understand why it's a holy war. Okay. Uh, they talk about a governor of a city that gave the priests over to the Teniscari, and the priests got torn up and devoured. So they're facing some cannibals. Yeah. Cannibals. They always have to be there. Can't have good epic fantasy without cannibals. <laughs> uh, Wheel of Time doesn't have any cannibals. And I told, like I said, it's uh, not good epic fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I take it back. It doesn't have human cannibals. Some of the evil minion dudes are cannibals. So, yeah, it's kind of like the the orcs and uh, yeah, Trollocs. Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Eugene starts talking and Crone is like, listen to him. He and Kaladin and Brew talk out loud the same. I love how Crone is just there the entire time making her sarcastic yeah. remarks. And like, it's not even like she's really helping. She's just there to make the sarcastic remarks. Uh, there's just more discussion of tactics. They don't know what the sorcery of the Panion Domen is, just that it exists. Kalo reveals how deeply he hates Silver Fox. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Did you catch why? Uh, I like I was trying to. It's because um because Calor knows something, and I'm trying to remember because what I gathered it maybe has to do with the Talana Moss, but uh, or is it so, just she knows a lot? Or it's so Night mo- Chill, right? Yeah, he mentions Night Chill, and uh, he says something about not very inventive, is she? Yep. So obviously he has something against her. I didn't exactly catch why, but okay. I'm I'm trying to get you to the so he says night chill, not very inventive. Uh think of some of the characters we met in the prologue with Kalor. Mm, that would make sense. That's the lady. Yeah. Sister of Cole Knights, Night Chill. Yeah, that makes sense. Not very inventive. Okay, because like when you mention him, like it has to be Something with the ancient thing, so Jagu or Nightchill, and now that makes sense. So she died, ish. Yeah, remember, uh, outside Pale, she was like demons were summoned yeah. and tore her apart, and yep. then uh, Tadosil's spell, like sealing spell, helped her 
escape into the remains. Yep. I was just trying to remember the curse that he gave her. Was what it the companionship it? one? Like you'll be betrayed. As for you, woman, unhuman hands shall tear your body into pieces upon a field of battle, yet you shall know no respite. So that's literally what happened to her. She got yeah, there you destroyed go. by a demon. <laughs> it's kind of gnarly to think about, though. Like, these powerful ascendants just keep getting beat up by, like, the dumbest things, I feel like, sometimes. Like, I feel like for being so powerful and immortal, like, I feel like you'd have to die, like, in a different way. That might be a thing. It's, like, just so lame sometimes. Uh, Whiskey Jack proves how good of a dude he is. Uh, Harmer Child, I would not beat you senseless, Calor. I would rip your heart out. And then Calor makes some sarcastic comment, and Whiskey Jack's like, that'll do, and just bitch slaps him with his gauntlet across the face. And I love it how it's like the sarcasm of like, oh, I'm so scared. <laughs> and then Brew just immediately steps in, and Calor cannot move. Yep. Brew's insane. Like, I just imagine this massive mountain of a person oh that's yeah. like he's would, giant like would flick you in the head or something and like knock you out cold also has a gigantic camera strapped across his back which is pretty awesome like i love that that's his weapon Huchek pulls out a rag that this is a detail oh. from gardens of the moon that uh remember one of the mages is like you still got shaving cream on your face and he like pulls out a rag oh, and wipe it off. He yeah. pulls off one that's still crusted with like shaving soap and tosses it to Calor. He's like, keep it. Yeah, I thought that was a, a pretty awesome interaction. Like Whiskey Jack, like we haven't met him a ton. I don't feel like we've seen him a ton. And so it's been really, I really enjoyed this section just to see kind of the person he is. And we get like a really nice POV of his thought process through everything. Yeah. And I like just still that slap. I was like, that was like the pins and needles went away after that slap. Because then you see <laughs> Brood step in to like hold him down. And I was like, all right, at least we're on the same page. Yeah. They're getting along now. Yeah. And then Whiskey Check reels and like takes it. We finally we get taken through his full thought process. Uh, and he's like, oh, crap. Peron's here. Uh, he had Tattersail. Uh oh, that might cause some complications. I know. I yeah. I think it's uh it, it's this scene as well where Silver Fox reveals who she is and like some of her powers, right? Yeah. Silver yeah. Fox also learns here that she actually is draining the life force from her mom, which she did not know before. She's a little distraught by that. Understandably so. Yeah. I I thought it was really cool though that we finally got like a really nice info dump mm-hmm. for once. And it like he kind of didn't hold back on like it was like a full course buffet kind of yes. info dump. Yes. Like, I uh the first time I was reading the series, I sent a message to one of my friends because he knew that I was reading this. He hasn't read it still, but I told him the beginning of this book is so nice because you've been craving so much information for so long. And then the first few chapters are just like people walking around camp and talking, but you're getting information, so you love it. Oh, I know. Like when she's like, yeah, I'm Tattersall, Nightchill combined. I am the Jagut uh, or uh, the Talana uh, Mass. Yeah. Chosen one. I came from, I was born in a dream kind of thing in two different ways. There's an elder God and a Talana Mass and my mom. And like, it was kind of nice. I'm like, this is <laughs> like, this is exactly what I've been wanting for so long. And then like, 
even later on, I think in maybe the next chapter, they dive into Warrens a little bit. Oh, because mm-hmm. I think here as well, she mentions, though, she's like in Calor, like there's a whole Warren destroyed because of you. Yeah. <laughs> or someone says something like that. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. We're getting just so much stuff like this is awesome. Yeah. And as Whiskey Jack is reeling, he meets eyes with Corlat and he's like, holy crap, she is beautiful and Dujek is ugly. I chose the wrong side. (laughs) (laughs) And just kind of agrees to meet with her. Uh, Like, of course, I'll meet with you. And then we get Crone panicking about what Anamanda Rake would think if he knew where they were from. But then later, Corlette is like, the Great Ravens like to think that we don't know where they came from. They try to keep it a secret, but we know. Yeah, which was another amazing info dump. I'm just like, they were born from the maggots of the crippled god when he fell down and destroyed everything. I was like, oh, thank you. Like, And they feed on magic, which I was like, I feel like we knew that before. But just like reminding that again, I was like, because we haven't seen him for a whole book. It was a kind of a nice reminder. So I was like, oh, this is this is exactly what I've wanted. I was like, this is this is enough to keep me going. So uh Calor kind of fights back against the narrative of the Talani Mass being the good guys. Like you eradicated them for a handful of tyrants. Most of them, their crime was to exist. Oh yeah, the Jagoop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because they talked about the ice and stuff. And then the description of like the whole ritual of she's like, I'm the first Talana mass to be born. That's like flesh and blood. I'm yeah, like, that's pretty gnarly. Uh, yeah. Silver Fox claps back at him. Do not hit at injustices. High King, I possess enough of Nightchill's memories to recall the Imperial Warren, the place you once ruled, Kalor, before the Malazans made claim to it. You stripped life from it and left nothing but chat, but ash and charred bones. And Kalor says, ah, you are there, but hiding, I think, twisting the truth into false memories. What a liar he is. He sits on a throne of lies. <laughs> also Play skulls the... and bones. Skulls and bones, yes. Uh, let's see. The Mibe and Corlat and Whiskey Jack all leave the tent with Silver Fox. Silver Fox kind of remembers Whiskey Jack, just kind of an impression that he was a friend. And he says yes, and she asks to speak to Gnoz. He's like, this is going to be awkward. <laughs> is it even my business? Which, like, honestly, like, whenever they keep mentioning this whole lover scenario, I'm like, wait, didn't they just, like, spend one night together? Like, how long really was it? Yeah, so I think people outside may have twisted it into something more than it was. Because, like, that, like, even, like, when we see on like his pov like i feel it's more just like they like each other but it's like they're unsure yeah you know like i don't feel like they spend enough time together because like every time they bring it up i'm like are they though no they they spent a few days together which one night exploded into into passion and a one night stand and then they separated yeah i was gonna say like it wasn't that, that was the extent of their relationship yeah I was like, it kind of threw me for a loop when they kept mentioning it. I was like, are they lovers, though? Like, what's going on here? I think, because we see Whiskey, we see this next chapter, and we can discuss it a little more then, but Whiskey Jack says to Peron, like, we need every advantage we can get with Silver Fox. If you can bring Tattersail to the front, oh, then yeah. she won't betray us. It's true. Uh, yeah, and then Corlat wonders where Bellardan is, the other mage that died. 
The guy just disappeared. We don't know what happened. Yeah. And uh, that's, unless you have anything else about Corlat and Whiskey Jack's conversation, that's the end, basically, of chapter three. I mean, you got to talk to the attractive lady. Oh, of course. That's a win for Whiskey Jack. I'm rooting for that. I know nothing's going to happen there, but I mean, he kind of deserves someone nice after all he's been through. Well, I mean, Corlat does seem to reciprocate a little. Um, a little. I am pleased to have met you as well. Silver Fox spoke true words when she said she trusted you, and I believe I do as well. Yeah. I was like, hey, hey, Whiskey Jack. She did say he was attractive when she first saw him. Yeah, a little hairy, but attractive. (laughs) Well, it wasn't wasn't Corlad that made the hairy comment. It was the Mibe that was like, oh, that's true. I'm glad Rivy women or Rivy men aren't so hairy. Yeah. It, uh, I'm like, this, this feels more like a proper love arc than, uh, Kalam and (laughs) what's your bucket? Moran, Manala. Manala. Oh, geez. No, I, I don't have too many more thoughts. It was uh, it was a fun chapter. I enjoyed that info dump. I was like, this is what I needed for so long. And I finally got it. Yeah, very much so. Uh, let's see. Chapter four. Gruntle drives the wagon across the river. While Stoney and Harlow get cleaned up, he starts a cook fire and sees his friend Buke take up a new contract with Beauchelaine and Corbel Brooch. Buke's family died in a fire while he was passed out drunk, and he only takes the riskiest contracts, trying to die fighting. He believes that Corbel Brooch is the killer from Darugistan and means to kill him. Quick Ben visits the world's oldest witch of tens, or tennis, not sure how to pronounce that, about Burns infection. Later, he informs Peron that they've been called the Brood's camp. Peron orders Spindle, who wears a shirt made from his dead mother's hair, to access his warren to keep things away from them, and it makes the animals around them go crazy. Once they arrive, Dujic pulls Peron aside to give him the news of his family. Peron stands alone on one of Pale's barrows, reflecting on adulthood and memories. Whiskey Jack approaches and tells him of Silver Fox. He wants Peron to draw Tattersail to the fore and to not mention a word of his escapade within Dragnapur. A squad of bridge burners steals Brood's table back to run a card game. Spindle fails and they all lose their money, but they discover that it's because a new card has been painted on the underside of the table. A new unaligned card in the Deck of Dragons. Silver Fox theorizes that the Deck of Dragons and the Azath Houses are one and the same, and that Dragnapur contains the gate into the Warren of Darkness. She also believes that Peron is the master of the deck. He doesn't like the thought and believes that he will fail. That was such a lame chapter. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I thought for a second so you might be happened. serious. Of course not. No, that chapter, like, we get the cool info dump, and I was like, this is awesome. All right, let's see what happens next. And then it's like, Info dump, info dump, info dump. Yep, I'm like, def- yep. Touchdown. <laughs> well, as in book three, we get what we need. Yeah. So, uh, Gruntle went a bet and, uh, gets to sit on the top of the carriage while his friends do the hard work. They're like, why do we get you back here? He's like, you lost. Harlow's like, just... you always win. I know. And I just love how I'm like, that just sounds so miserable, though. Like the, the description where they're just like covered in mud and water. I was like, that sounds yeah. awful. Well, because they bet that Beauchelaine and Corporal Birch's carriage wouldn't be able to make it across the river. And Gruntle has a feeling that eh, they're not ones to get dirty in the muck. So he bets that they will. And uh, Smartest they, bet. They glide right across. No, of course those guys. Like, are you guys that dumb? Like, of course they're going to have some way to get across without any issues. Well, Stunny and Harlow have not met the pair yet. <laughs> Gruntle's the only yeah, one to talk with them. Yeah, that's true. Well, Gruntle thinks it's an unfair bet. That's the best kind. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
wish that's how it worked in the real world sometimes. Uh, and then what what did you think of Buke, the uh, the tragic caravan guard? Oh, bad for him. I think it's interesting, though, that they add character like he adds a character like him to the story. Like, yeah. I don't know what significance he's going to have, but if any, but he's just kind of there now like this, like just another piece to this, like, really cool world, which I try not. I think it's like a sad but cool detail to add. And he's very much in the YOLO mindset now where he's like, yeah, do what I got to do. Yeah. Uh, with him, I will bring this up many more times, I'm sure. But Erickson's ability to within like a paragraph or two help you fully understand a character. Um, yeah. It's just really cool. And how Buke was a drunk, but he feels like being a drunk is what caused the death of his family. So instead of turning to more drink, he went sober and now just wants to die. Yeah. But in an in an honorable way to uh, kind of redeem himself from yeah even though it likely was not his fault no no i think it's uh like i feel like this is what i really appreciate about some epic fantasy sometimes like i like there's more of a comment on the bigger scale things but like just how much detail that an author can add just because they can add it like this scene i feel like could have been completed without any issues of them the mud and kind of just chilling you know, and him and like Gruntel thinking to himself while the other two get cleaned up or something, you know? Yeah. Or like him just like wandering around camp, getting things set up, getting things going. But no, they add in this really interesting kind of just another person to this world, just to add another person and like kind of liven up and give someone Gruntel to talk to, which I think is really cool and really fun. Yeah. Someone for him to bounce stuff off of. Yeah. Yeah, Crunch was like, too bad Buke is too good at fighting and killing to die easily. Oh, I know. Poor bloke. He's way too good at his job. Because he chooses everything solo as well. Uh-huh. Which uh, is pretty wild. Uh, Yeah, we learned that uh, Corval Birch is likely the one behind a string of horrific murders in Darugistan. And Buke wants to bring him to justice the old-fashioned way. Kill now. Was he though? That's what I was trying to remember. I kept like thinking back and I was like, who who are they referring to? Yeah, it was it was Corbo Brooch. Uh so he was see. in Drugistan? Yeah, because they, they left from Drugistan. Mm. Uh, okay. Yeah. Weird. For some reason I can't figure out who he was from Gardens. I mean Buke is making a bit of an assumption because the murder stopped when Beauchelaine and Corbo Brooch left, and he just assumes that it's Corbo Brooch. Yeah, that's where I was a little confused because I was like, "What?" But like, what string of murders is it referring to? Like the assassins all dying, or? Uh, no, this is one that we didn't see on page. That he just informs us that there was a string of murders in Darugistan. Oh, okay, a few okay. weeks back. Yeah, this is not something that mm-hmm. we saw. That's good to know. I was a little confused because like I don't remember any of this. Let's see. Harlow and Stony come back. We learn that Stony uh cares for Buke. And won't admit it. Oh, just admit it. You're in love. She's in love uh, and doesn't care who knows it. She said she says that what Buke needs is a woman's hand on his sword grip. And then Harlow makes him or she says it's not his appearance that it's not his appearance that one box at, it's his attitude, the opposite of you. And Harlow says, sweet on my personality. If I fix my face, would you would you be down? And she says, everyone knows that that two-handed sword of yours is a pathetic attempt at compensation. Yeah. 
I, I think oh, I made a note with this section. I was get yeah, I was gonna say, like, I remember this section because the banter. I thought it was so funny. Let's see. Yeah, no, I did make a note on this one. Yeah. I there may be someone out there that I haven't read, but I've never encountered like banter between characters that's better than Erickson. Yeah. Uh oh no, this was the part I loved was the uh the poeticness of it all with the iron flower petals. <laughs> oh yeah. And then and then because he's like He's like, because Stoney's like, what's poetic about not making sense? You're as big as an idiot as Book and Harlow, Gruntle. I'm surrounded by thick skulled witless fools. And then he's just like, it's your lot in life, alas. Here, have some tea. You could do with the warmth. Yeah. Uh, I was dying. There's no, there's no such thing as iron petals. You don't get iron flowers, and hearts aren't flowers. They're big, red, messy things in your chest. She does not understand uh, symbolism at all. Or whatever that is. The next scene we get Quick Ben visiting the world's oldest witch of uh tennis or tens, which is the the path of the land, the land warren. Uh asking her about burn. No, it, she's just the oldest witch of tennis, which is the warren of the land. So they're not in a warren, but she is Okay, she's a user. Say... She's a user of that word. Okay. She's a user. And like yeah, like a worshiper of burn. Um, did you did you catch some of the interesting comments she makes about Quick Ben? Uh he's from Seven Cities. She says, I sniffed Raraku, didn't I? And then uh color the coin of your questions, twelve souls. Yeah, because then as well mentioned his real name a couple I think once. Yeah, she um, calls him a Defon Delat. Well, you get kind of an answer about what burn is because you were kind of confused about how burn can be the earth, but yet there's land spirits and things like that. It's the Warren of the earth. So, so she says that the world is shaped like a beetle's ball of dung and it travels through a chilling void around the sun. The surface floats in pieces on a sea of molten rock. Sometimes the pieces grind together. Sometimes they pull apart, pulled and pushed by tides as the seed are pulled and pushed. And where is the goddess in such a scheme? She was the dung within the egg, hatched long ago. Her mind rides the hidden rivers beneath our feet. So she's kind of like, she's the glue between everything then. Yeah, that's a good... More or less. Kind of, or she exists within the earth, but she is the goddess of the earth. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes a lot more sense. Why does Burn sleep? She sleeps to dream. And then uh, later the witch says, delirium descends, lad. Dreams become nightmares. She has a delirium and fevered. Mm-hmm. So Raraku, I'm already forgetting. Is that where the rebellion is? Like the heart of the rebellion? That's the desert? Yeah, that's where most of Felicin's, like story in Deadhouse Gates took place. Okay. Yep, so that is, that is where the rebellion is. And that's where... Uh, Felicin took the army back from Eren to Raraku. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't have much else about the section, to be honest. He gives the witch another pebble. He's yeah. just continuing to use those pebbles. I think it's so funny. Pebbles and money. The 12 souls, though, does that mean he? Uh, it's the 12 warrens he has access to? That's what I think. Raffo. That's my guess. Or is he a Tattersail Night Chill? Raffo. I haven't heard that one in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So next uh, up is Peron, right? Yeah, Peron and Quick Ben 
And Peron's like, you look miserable, mage, and that makes me nervous. You don't want to know, Captain. Trust me in this. And it's like, quick, man, will you just effing tell someone something? You don't have to bottle it all up inside. You know, you can ask for some help. Sure, it's it's decades away, but you're talking about the potential end of the effing world here, Quick Ben. You can tell someone. Hey, but they got bigger fish to fry right now. They got the Panion Dom. Yeah. That's how a, you say it. A relatively small empire. That's a bigger fish than the end of the world. No, well, at least right now in the time frame. I, I mean I guess it's a more immediate problem. Because like you gotta get rid of the the like um What's a good analogy for that? Oh, you got to, you know, clear out the wound before you can start, you know, patching it up, I guess. You got to get rid of them or else you're not going to be able to help the world because they're just going to be on their weird religious run of attacks. Yeah, maybe. Quran thinks about the normal Malazan method of taking control that they uh, install bureaucratic leaders and then take over the black market. And Quran's like, we can't even take over the above ground economy. He's like, how are you going to take control of the black market? Which is the clause job, which they have none. Yeah, Peron's like, normally we get Imperial aid and there's none coming. And it's funny how everyone else... Actually, I won't say that. Never mind. Oh. (laughs) So uh, when I mentioned Spindle in the summary, Matt was just shaking his head for a little bit. What did you think of Spindle in his hair shirt? I remember reading it. I was like, "Is it just a strand, like a like a weird braid he has on his shirt?" No, it is. Oh, it's I was so grossed itself. out. So grossed out. That was like his mom must have had a lot of hair, as well. Yeah. That's uh How's it lasted been, that long as well? And it's mentioned later he hasn't washed it because his mom never washed it. Uh, it's so gross. There's not many things that gross me out. I feel like it, but that is one of them. Oh. oh, I love it when an author just includes a detail that is like so bizarre and they're just like, screw it. I'm going for it. And they just do like, it. I'm go- yeah. I'm going for the absurd. And then as well, Spindles Warren makes all of the cats and dogs and animals around them like go wild. And of course, we're back at. Yeah, no explanation. Oh, yeah, of course. It's not his yeah. Warren, Captain. It's the way he accesses it. Yeah. Which. uh Yeah. Yeah, spindle so bizarre. They're right across the killing field of pale, and Peron thinks about how I kind of feel like my whole life has been violence, but it's just been a few years. And it's like, wow. yeah, Peron, you you've seen some shit. <laughs> really has. Yeah, Cyanamar Rake, kill a couple things, saw God. A couple gods actually kind of have some words. Traveled within the sword, received some brutal claw training. Yep. Oh, he was chosen by a god. Yeah. For a little bit. He ain't no noble born now. Nope. I felt kind of bad for him when he was like, no matter what, Tavor will take care of Felicent. That at least I can take comfort from. And then oh. a page later gets the news about his family. That was so bad. I was like, uh, no, don't tell him. Don't tell him. I He deserves to know. I mean, he doesn't know, though, that his sister's soon to be the the goddess reborn of an entire rebellion. Oh, the rebellion, That's now, yeah. And it's his two sisters that are fighting to take control of well, an entire continent. That also has not happened yet because Deadhouse Gates and this are happening simultaneously. Yeah, it's true, it's true. But I mean, like, he doesn't know that that's what's going to happen. 
yeah so i would this is happening about the same time like i would say probably a few weeks or days after the prologue of dead house gates where fellison gets chained up and sent to the slave ships and then maybe a couple weeks from now is when kalam and fiddler are going to land on seven cities gotcha we find out his mother committed suicide because his dad died and she chose to join him. She's like, what's poppin' hood? Can I go with? I don't, don't want to be on this side anymore. <laughs> that was a dark joke. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> hey, I mean, you make a joke about a crazy person, right? I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to judge the mom is crazy. Yeah. Her her husband died. Her house was thrown into disarray. Uh, Nobleborn were being pulled out of their houses and raped. I can, I'm not gonna judge her for that. Not only were they raped, they're then killed. Yep, so a lot of them, which is rather and, unfortunate. And there might have also been some necrophilia going on. It's slightly implied, but so no bueno. Yeah, Peron, he he pretends to handle the news well. He doesn't handle it particularly well. Just completely deadpan to do jack and then goes off to be by himself and stare at the night yeah i feel like that's a very classic case of just like you all right yeah i'm totally fine i'm totally fine don't worry about it let me just go stand alone and look over vista and reflect on the terribleness of what's happened yeah and then while he's standing there he thinks that he's not a man of tears which is true and then he's also not one to rail at the world and i'm like Bullcrap, Peron. You have been complaining the entire time that we've seen you. Like, understandably so because of your circumstances, but don't kid yourself. You're someone that complains and rails at the circumstances of the world around you. True. Um, I did want to point this out because Peron is thinking about, like, memories and childhood, and it very much echoes something from Felicin in uh, Dead House Gates. Death and dying makes us into children once again, in truth. One last time, there in our final wailing cries. More than one philosopher has claimed that we ever remain children, far beneath the indurated layers that make up the armor of adulthood. Armor encumbers, restricts the body and soul within it, but it also protects. Blows are blunted, feelings lose their edge, leaving us to suffer not but a plague of bruises, and after a time, bruises fade. And it just really reminded me of when a uh, Bowden dies and the line about fellas in like armor can hide anything, even a child, especially a child. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's, he's not taking it well. Nope. Which is understandable on a separate continent in a war. Just found out your two sisters are, well, one's now thrown into the slave camp and the other is the, takes up the old position of someone you had worked with. Yeah, and also is the one that put your younger sister in the slave camp. Yep. And then the one-two punch, Whiskey Jack comes up behind him and is like, so uh, come meet Silver Fox. Uh, yeah, you're not going to like this. Who's Silver Fox? Well, it's Tattersail. And what? Night Chill. And Night Chill. What? And she's a kid. What? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, and she's Peron's a child. Like, Peron's like, oh yeah, she's a soul taken, by the way. And Whiskey Jack is like, how do you know? I just, I know. You're like, yeah, don't worry about it. I know what I'm talking about. Silver Fox has given him a Rivi name, Genesand Roll, which is the Wanderer within the Sword. Yeah, it's a pretty cool name. And Whiskey Jack's like, never tell Animander Rake. Like, never oh, tell yeah. him. Don't tell him you went in and you came out and you freed a couple of wolves or hounds. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think it's uh kind of funny that they have like Quick Ben there and oh, yeah. a couple other mages, and they're just kind of all there, and they're like I just imagine the circle of all these adults and then the child in the middle, and they're like, Hey, it's your ex-lover yeah. reborn. Quick Ben and Mallet have exhausted their warrants trying to find out what exactly Silver Fox is. Yeah. They're just um, they're pooped. And then after that very depressing scene, we get the bridge burners stealing the table. That was hilarious. They can barely lift it with four of them, and then six of them just take it. I know. I was like, of course, of course, they would be the ones to be like, hey, that's our table. Hedge is like, hey, I'm part of your squad now. My squad was disbanded, so uh, I'm going to teach you all the secret, and we're going to make a ton of money. And then right after this section where they set up the table and everything, it's like all the other soldiers walked away laughing with jingling purses. Bulging purses. Yeah. Tons and Hedge and the squad lost all of their money because they couldn't get it to work. Like, what happened? He's like, I don't know. Like, well, look, the table's its own card. And he's like, ah, crap. It was bad luck. Yeah. Spend is like, I need to study it. And then Hedge is like, and then once you know the relationship, we can run a new game and get our money back. But he's like, why study it? I'm going to need some paintbrushes, uh, all these yeah, art supplies, just, basically. He just walks away muttering. I was like, this is a pretty gnarly, this deck of dragons business. Yeah, I... But I'm like, that's kind of ballsy, you guys. You stuck into the tent of an ascendant to steal his table. I mean, why not? The bridge burners, the sappers, they don't care. <laughs> Can't you make this thing any lighter? What kind of mage are you anyway? A weak one. Like I don't I don't lighten tables here, bud. That's not his worn. That's not the power he has. Isn't that like uh who who's the oh um in the boat? He's like, I don't have a boat fixing Warren. Oh yeah. Duke is like, Colt, what was your warrant again? Boat repair. Wow. Uh, yeah, and then awesome. after that, we get the most info dumpy section of this chapter. Uh, Silver Fox theorizing, okay. what if the deck of dragons with the houses and the Azath houses are the same thing? And like how it all interconnects on the warrens and how people take charge of the warrens and stuff. Yeah, and why did it Shadow Throne and Cotillion if they went into Dead House ascend to the throne of death because hood is already there ruling death. And so they found an unoccupied Warren because shadow hasn't had rulers besides the hounds for like millennia. Yep. Can you imagine like, like this would be kind of funny. You got the, they're like ascendant and then it like pops up like a spirit Warren realtor. Like, Hey, let's go find you a Warren to rule. Well, it, it also does make sense um, because I mean, the shadow Warren includes assassinations and stuff and dancer was this master assassin yeah no it makes sense like it's kind of it kind of pairs up with death and darkness and all that like it's in the same family yeah let's see the word finest which is the object that raced kept his power in, is known as hold device hold was synonymous mm. with house and was also synonymous with warren and where does a jagged wellspring of power reside in a finest Tremolor, which Fiddler and the group were at at the end of Deadhouse Gates, is Trellish for House of Life. Oh, interesting. That's right. And now, if you remember, that was all overgrown with weeds and trees and roots and stuff. Changing living maze. Uh, let's see. What of the decks unaligned? 
failed aspects, the imposition of chance or random forces. The Azath and the deck are both impositions of order, but even order needs freedom, lest it solidify and become fragile. Yep, and then she theorizes the new, new card. Yep, the new card is him. Oh, and then it talks about uh, the sword worm and how it's uh, clogging up the um, the other worm. Yeah. To try and seal it off. Um, Anamander Rake is knight of the House of Dark, yet where is the house itself? Before all else there was dark and the mother who birthed all. So it must be an ancient place, a hold, or perhaps something that came before holds themselves. Yep. Uh, and then Peron says, before houses there were holds, both fixed, both stationary, settled. Before settlement there was wandering, house from hold, hold from a gate in motion, ceaseless motion, a wagon, burdened beneath the countless souls, sealing the gate into dark. Yep. I thought that was such a cool line in description. And then Silver Fox, you must find the answer for your own creation. <laughs> Peron's like, are you giving me a quest? Only fools and stories go on quests. I was like, oh, so now we're going to the, the standard quest line here. The hero has been chosen from a prophecy. Yep. And uh, yeah, Peron's like, uh, no, I'm the wrong choice. I was chosen by a god before. No, thank you. I don't care. I don't want to do it. He's like, ask them. It didn't go great. <laughs> Which I've, is kind of a nice change because lots of times in fantasy, the chosen one is like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> like, just like, I have to kind of kind of accepts it and Peron's like uh no screw that I mean it's been done before kind of that idea but this one I thought was rather nice because there's there's so many other things going on there's so many other things that he's did like he's had experience so it's not like a farm boy like you're going on an adventure to beat the dragon yeah it it doesn't even really feel like he's the chosen one trope either no no because he's just one character in this vast like list of I guess this vast cast of characters, he's just one. I know it's uh, it's like, I feel like there's been some, a lot of tropes in certain aspects, but they've all been like sort of modified to fit within this grand big picture, you know? Yeah. I think Erickson intentionally has tried to subvert a lot of tropes. Like Kalam brings the book to Shaikh and then immediately Shaikh is killed. And it's like, that's not how that goes. Well, it's like Kalam, you think it's going to be this big epic quest, and it's like chapter four. He's delivered the book. And like, then you think his big epic quest is to kill Lysian, and it's going to end in this big confrontation, and it's a conversation. Yeah. And it's just like, what's up, homie? Hey, what's up? You're not really here, are you? No, I'm not. Why'd you do this? Well, this happened. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. Coltane should win the day in a last epic stand, but nope. Uh, oh, that, Cro- that, that Crocus and Crocus and Chalice, the nobleborn girl, are going to be Romeo and Juliet. But nope, uh, Race is going to be this huge villain for all ten of the books. Nope, he's taken care of in book one. Not even by the big powerful dudes, by the sidekicks to the powerful dudes. Yeah, yeah, right. pretty much. He's like, hey, uh, my my dragon guys, you want to go just take care of that dude real quick? They're like, yeah, we got this. Don't worry, you go enjoy your party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Deadhouse Gates also sets up like. Hey, maybe the Jagut Talani mass conflict is not as black and white as you thought it was in Gardens of the Moon. Kind of a oh, reversal. I, yeah. Yeah, those are all the examples that are coming to mind right now, but it's quite a few. Have you read the books before? I feel like you've read them. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe just a little. That's right. Yeah. You had mentioned it. You mentioned it. 
Yeah, this may be my fourth time through. So my um, barely any Spotify's uh now it's a uh, yeah Spotify's year in book review, but <laughs> it's Nate with uh, three reads of Malazan. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's about all I have for chapter four. Unless you have any more thoughts on Silver Fox and Peron's conversation. I just think it's so funny how you just keep getting Peron's mind of like, she's a girl, she's a little, there's a little child. Yeah. I don't think like, he's even tempted that much, but he's like, this is weird. Yeah. No, that's why I think it's so funny. It's just like, it, like, it's not a ton, like, it's not very prevalent, which I like, which I'm yeah. happy it wasn't like kind of weirdly drug out, but it's just kind of funny where it's like, she's like, this is weird. This, this shouldn't be a thing. <laughs> no, yeah. there, and- I, I, Ah, I forgot what I was going to say, but you can go ahead. I don't know. I can't remember what I was going to say either. Well, maybe that's our stopping point then. We forgot what we were saying, everyone. So we're just going to end it here. Just kidding. Yeah. Just some fun things to keep in mind going forward with Azath houses and houses of the deck and holds and all of that. Fun, juicy, metaphysical, magical stuff that you've been waiting for two books to get and then you get it here. Oh, I know. I've been so happy with these past two chapters. I read them. I read chapter three last night before I went to bed, and I read chapter four on the train this morning. And I was like, both chapters, both times, I was like, this is exactly what I want. Just like explanations that are not like insanely in depth, but they're good enough for me to think about for a little bit to be like, okay, that makes a little more sense. I guess I can kind of figure out right now where we're going to read to next time. Because uh, chapter five is 54 pages. Oh, and then chapter six takes us to the end of book one. So if we read both, that would be 80 pages. So I think we'll just do chapters five and six next time. Yeah, it'll be fine. Almost done with the semester anyway, so I have a little extra Sweet. time this week. We may also do a uh, collaboration episode with DNJ's Epic Quest when we get to the same chapter as them. Because they've been going That's one right. chapter at a time. So I think around chapter eight or nine, or maybe because they record in advance as well, maybe 10 or 11, we might do a collaboration episode with them just when we reach the same point, because then we'll pass them and then we'll have to go on their show to collab in the future. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, those guys are madmen. When he when he was on, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe like I haven't had a lot of time to listen like, because when I want, I want to listen to this on the podcast. Like, I feel bad. I haven't really listened to anyone. But I've also kind of wanted to stay away a little bit just because I worried about spoilers. Yeah. But uh, no, when I listened to the, one of their Dead House ones, I was like, wow, these guys go way in depth. This is pretty sweet. It's they a really cool perspective in, they have. In depth. Like, we're kind of dipping our feet into the water a little bit. But yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like we're just. It's like we're more the hot take in some aspects of like what this is what we think. And they're like, all right, let's dive in to class today. Lecture 10 of Malazan Book of the Fallen. <laughs> yeah. Semester it's, three. It's, re- it's really impressive what they're doing. So they it's just awesome. and we're about to read chapter five this week, which they did. They had like their episode on it is a little under five hours long. So that might get you excited because there is a lot in chapter five. When you mentioned that, I was like, I need to take some actual real better notes because I've just made marks of like pages I've liked. But no, I'm going to have to I want to take this next one a little more seriously. But I still am not taking notes and I might 
need to because already these chapters were hard to summarize because it's just it's so much really in these two chapters so i might start taking better notes just so outside of the summary i can remember some more things but yeah i think that's all for this week it is how was that that, todd